0: From the greenhouse, it's the Adam Ragusea podcast, episode 68, and I would like to tell you about B12, one of the more interesting vitamins, possibly the most interesting, in my humble opinion. Chemically, biologically, medically, socially, historically, any way you look at B12, it's really interesting. It's interesting to me, particularly at this moment, because I have episodes of gastritis, so I'm taking acid blockers, And one reason that they tell you to not rely on acid blockers too much is that they can effectively inhibit your absorption of B12. But it's not just me. B12 is one of the hipper vitamins of the moment. If you have any party monsters in your life, club kids, DJs, DJs' unfortunate girlfriends, you might have heard about them getting B12 injections to cure hangovers and otherwise get an energy boost. That's a questionable claim that we'll get back to, though it's not entirely crazy. People also take B12 injections to lose weight. Another questionable claim, not totally divorced from reality. I got a B12 shot a couple of days ago, just to see what it feels like so I could tell you about it. The things I do for content... B12 is also hip at the moment because veganism is hip, and B12 is one of those vitamins that can be hard to get from non-animal foods. But in the case of vegans who also fancy themselves too savvy to be fooled by the supplement industry, it's also hip among such people to say, pfft, I've been vegan for two years, and I haven't eaten any vitamin-fortified ultra-processed foods in that whole time, nor have I taken any vitamin supplements, and I feel fine." Yeah, well, wait a few more years until your liver stores of B12 have been exhausted, and then we'll see how you feel. Probably bad. B12 deficiency feels terrible, and unfortunately, it's one of the vitamin deficiencies that lots of us will live to experience if we are fortunate enough to live that long. The B12 deficiency rate among people over 60 is around 20%, according to one estimate from one study. It depends how you define deficient and it depends on the study. There's tons of variation from study to study, but they all show the problem accelerating a lot in old age. And there are individual case studies where they go into like a nursing home and find that most of the people in there are B12 deficient. That's not a reason to not get old no more than it is a reason to not be vegan. It's totally possible to be healthy and old healthy and vegan, healthy and old and vegan, but there are some elevated risks that it helps to be aware of, just as it helps to be aware of the elevated risks associated with eating tons of beef or whatever, even if beef is filled with B12. It takes the good with the bad in this life. And what is B12? Well, this is the first thing that's really interesting about this vitamin. B12 is cobalamin. Not cobalamine, as it is often mispronounced by myself and others, but cobalamin, which is the only essential micronutrient based on the toxic heavy metal cobalt. When you look at food on the atomic level, you can get a little bored because it's pretty much all just different combinations of the same handful of elements that dominate all of organic chemistry. Carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur. Most of what we eat, most of what we need to eat is mostly those six elements in different molecular and ionic configurations. And it gets a little boring looking at all those Lewis structures day in and day out with all the same six letters in them. It's like only playing the white keys on the piano. I mean, it's amazing how many radically different pieces and types of music that you can get out of only the white keys, but things get exponentially more interesting when you throw a single black key in the mix, and in food chemistry, you occasionally get a black key, such as cobalt. Chemical symbol CO. And yes, it is a toxic heavy metal. Heavy in this context meaning the atomic nucleus has a lot of protons in it, namely 27 protons. It gets heavier, uranium has 92 protons, but cobalt is also generally classed with the heavy metals, and heavy metals do tend to be toxic when ingested in sufficient quantity. That doesn't mean all heavy metals are to be avoided entirely. Cobalt has 27 protons. You know it has 26? Iron. And iron is a totally essential nutrient in very small quantities, but in large doses, it is also toxic as is cobalt. Though you're unlikely to see cobalt as a metal. It does not seem to occur in its elemental form in nature on earth. You see cobalt in various ores, ores being rocks consisting of lots of elements all mixed together, but from which you can extract valuable elements. Sometime prior to the early 18th century, German-speaking miners encountered ores of cobalt, and they apparently named it after a type of mischievously evil mythical sprite creature called cobalt with a K at the beginning and a D at the end, cobalt, which may actually be related to the English word goblin. The miners called cobalt goblin metal. Perhaps it is thought by some etymologists because cobalt ore was commercially useless to them and or because cobalt lowered the value of silver deposits and or because they may have noticed the toxicity of cobalt if you were mining and you breathed in a whole bunch of cobalt dust, you might notice some like asthma-like symptoms. And long-term, chronic cobalt exposure causes uh, nerve damage that you'd maybe feel as like tingling or pain or numbness in your fingertips and your feet, peripheral neuropathy, that's called. And it can damage your auditory nerve, causing tinnitus or deafness of all kinds and lots of other bad things. Also, Cobalt dust is flammable. Lots of reasons for German miners to name this stuff goblin metal, even though they never actually saw it, because cobalt does not occur naturally in its elemental form. It only occurs in ores with stuff like sulfur and arsenic. Some of the health problems associated with cobalt might actually have been caused by the arsenic. Miners referred to different ores of cobalt as like red cobalt, gray cobalt, silver, white cobalt, cobalt, etc. To modern ears like ours, this probably brings to mind blue cobalt or cobalt blue, which is a historically very popular pigment made with cobalt and aluminum. Cobalt was first smelted down and actually isolated in the 1730s by a Swedish chemist named George Brandt. I have no idea how George is pronounced in Swedish. It wouldn't be Georg. It would be Jurgi, (laughs) don't know. Let's call him George. George Brandt, who later headed up the national mint for, I guess, whatever remained of the Swedish empire at that point. They conquered most of Northern Europe, then they lost the Finnish war to Russia and remained at least theoretically neutral in matters of war and peace until now. Because Russia, again, and elemental cobalt looks basically like nickel. It's silvery gray and shiny. And if you eat a lot of it, you may like throw up in the short term and get like neuropathy in the long term, but we actually need a few micrograms of cobalt every day on average because we need cobalamin, the vitamin that is based on cobalt one little ion of cobalt at the very center, surrounded by dozens more of our old friends from food chemistry — carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, phosphorus — in just slightly varying configurations, depending on the particular kind of cobalamin that we're talking about. There seem to be four known vitamers of cobalamin. Vitamers being slightly different formulas and configurations that can all function as the same vitamin in the body. And a vitamin is, of course, something we need to ingest in very small amounts in order to function normally, excluding the other categories of essential micronutrients, which are the minerals, fatty acids, and amino acids. Amino acids, of course, are the building blocks of proteins, and we call them amino acids because they all contain at least one ionizable amine group. And an amine group. Is this chemical thing that's built around a a nitrogen atom with a lone pair of electrons. And that's why protein foods have lots of nitrogen, whereas carb and fat foods do not. When the Polish American chemist Casimir Funk first articulated the concept of vitamins in the early 20th century, the particular ones that he was studying contained amine groups. And of course, vitamins are by definition vital to life. So he called them vital amines, shortened to vitamins. But then it quickly became apparent to science that not all vitamins contain amine groups. So this term vitamin, which had rapidly entered the global scientific lexicon, was revealed to be a misnomer. What to do? Well, in 1920, a British biochemist named Jack Drummond suggested dropping the silent E from the end of vitamin because the chemical suffix I-N without the E was used at the time to describe, quote, a neutral substance of undefined composition. So now we call them vitamins, not vitamins, because they don't all contain amine groups. Cobalamin does not contain an amine group, which is why it would be technically incorrect to pronounce it cobalamin, as if it has a silent E on the end. Awful fact that I just learned, that nutrition researcher, Jack Drummond, the British guy, he and his wife and daughter were like brutally murdered on the side of a country road while on holiday in France in 1952, and nobody knows why or who did it a French Italian farmer who lived nearby was convicted of the crime, but there were a lot of problems with the investigation and lots of people think the farmer didn't do it. Prosecutors said that the scientist had sex with the farmer's wife, but this other guy from a gang of like violent robbers in Germany actually confessed to the crime multiple times to multiple jurisdictions. And for some reason, the French authorities just didn't care. The farmer's name was Gaston Dominici. And this is known in France to this day as the Dominici Affair, l'affaire Dominici, or however you pronounce Italian names in French. I don't know. But that's crazy that one of the guys who did like the foundational research on nutrition that we all rely on today met his end so horribly and nobody knows why it happened. Casimir Funk, who discovered the first B vitamins, had a much happier ending. He was able to emigrate to the United States in the 1930s, which was a very good time for a Polish Jew to get the hell away from Europe. Dude escaped the Holocaust and his work on B vitamins probably saved literally millions of lives globally. So maybe let's like not giggle about how his last name is spelled like funk. That's a thing people laugh about a lot on the internet. I say, let's show the man some respect. He didn't discover all the B vitamins, but he discovered the first one, niacin, vitamin B3. (laughs) Why is the first discovered B vitamin known as B3 and not B1? Because Funk initially mistook niacin for thiamine. So he thought what he'd discovered was thiamine, and that's why thiamine is B1, because he thought it came first, even though it didn't. (laughs) cobalamin was approximately the eighth B vitamin to get discovered. So naturally we call it vitamin B12. Want to know how that makes sense? Because there were a bunch of other supposed B vitamins that got numbers, but it subsequently turned out that they weren't really their own vitamins. Like the B vitamin that got the number eight called, uh, inocytol, is really important to the human body, but the body can synthesize it out of glucose. So it's not actually an essential nutrient in this context. Vitamin B10 turned out to be made in our gut microbiome. So it's not essential either. B11 turned out to be a chemical derivative of folate and folate is already in the B vitamin pantheon. So B11 got expelled and I can't find it now, but I read a book a while ago that said that one of the supposed B vitamins turned out to be essential to the guinea pigs that the scientists were studying, but not to actual humans. I think that's a pretty funny story, so I hope I'm not just making it up. That's why the B vitamins go up to 12, even though there's only eight of them. It's like when they retire an athlete's jersey number. Cobalamin is B12. And finally, what even is it? Is it some kind of protein or enzyme? No, no, no. It's a different kind of molecule, which is actually pretty easy to make nowadays with industrial fermentation. It's an inexpensive food additive, which is great because the average American is spending two thirds more on groceries right now than they did last year, according to one recent study other parts of the economy are picking up a bit. And it's uh, it's good news for our longtime sponsor. I'm talking about Masterworks, sponsor of this episode. Masterworks art investing platform, which you can access in minutes without needing millions of dollars. Masterworks has sold over $45 million in art, real art that has real value in the market. I'm actually setting up my own Masterworks account as we speak so that I can invest some of my money myself. I've got Lots of your more common, like retirement type investments, but I want to diversify a little. Plus, buying a share in a Picasso or something just sounds kind of fun. Masterworks buys artwork that they think will appreciate, and so far they've sold more than $45 million worth, and those net proceeds went right to their everyday investors. That's not a one-off. Masterworks just sold a 14th piece after my last episode with them for an incredible 17.6% net return. That's now nine exits that have occurred since Masterworks started supporting the Ragusia Pod, with other recent sales delivering net returns of 10, 13, and even 35% to investors. With over 750,000 users, some Masterworks offerings have sold out in minutes. Luckily, you can get priority access at the link in the description and on screen, which is Masterworks.Art/Ragusia. Past performance is no guarantee of future success, so do your homework and figure out if Masterworks is the right diversification option for you. Masterworks.art slash Thank you, Masterworks. Anyway, cobalamin. Vitamin B12. It's not a protein, it's not an enzyme. Cobalamin is a coenzyme, meaning it's a molecule that is required for an enzyme to do its job. And enzymes, of course, are proteins that we use for jobs other than being muscle or skin or whatever. We use enzymes to catalyze really important biochemical processes. Most of the cobalamin that you get ends up binding to one of two categories of enzymes. Without B12, the enzymes can't do their jobs. They might even like build up in your system and convert into dangerous metabolites. And it's all super complicated and I don't pretend to really understand it, but without the cobalamin coenzyme, you don't get some of the fat and protein metabolism on which you depend. And without it, you can't synthesize myelin, which is this protective coating that wraps around your nerves. That's why cobalt is relevant to like normal nerve functioning. Also, you need cobalamin in your bone marrow to make healthy red blood cells. Without cobalamin, the red blood cells grow like dysfunctionally large and they won't divide and multiply the way that they should. Red blood cells transport oxygen around your body, of course. So if you didn't have enough healthy red blood cells, your tissues become oxygen starved. And we call that anemia, right? Cobalamin deficiency results in megaloblastic anemia, giant blood cell anemia. Iron deficiency causes the more common form of anemia, but neither of these problems is thought to be rare. Like lots of people are anemic for at least part of their lives. So you may know from experience what it feels like. It feels like being winded from exercise because it's effectively the same problem not enough oxygen. You get tired, you get weak, short of breath but you haven't actually been exercising. So you have like a resting body temperature and without enough oxygen in that situation, you feel cold. The stereotype of anemia that I have in my head is of like an old person or of a younger person who's menstruating, (laughs) a younger menstruating woman complaining about being cold in a perfectly normal room. Menstruation involves purging blood cells and all kinds of other like, you know, lady stuff results in anemia. So that's where that stereotype comes from. The woman who's always cold until she hits menopause around the age 50, and then she's always hot. Then menopause ends around 60, and then she's always cold again. And, And the guys start complaining about being cold right around the same age. One reason for that is probably B12 deficiency, making old people anemic. As we get old, our stomachs just start to suck, especially if we drink a lot and we have a terrible diet. The lining of our stomach just like weakens. We excrete less in the way of stomach acid and gastric enzymes, and this makes it harder for us to digest the foods from which we get cobalamin. Your stomach needs to break that B12 out of the animal protein that it comes wrapped in, for example. If you have a weak stomach, You might be eating your recommended daily amount of B12, but you're not actually digesting and absorbing all of it. Some of it just passes right through you, so you have to up your B12 intake to compensate, and eventually that might not even be enough to help, and eventually you die. Because everybody dies around this point in the timeline that we're discussing. Also, as you get older, you take a lot of medicines, and some of these medicines can interfere with B12 absorption, namely metformin, which is a really common diabetes drug. Also, stomach acid blockers, like you know, brand names Zantac and Pepsid. If you've been paying attention, it should be obvious now how acid blockers can inhibit B12 absorption. They render you less able to break the B12 out of your food. I've been having some yucky gastritis episodes lately, which is why I've, I've lost a little weight. You may have noticed I'm kind of scared of provoking my stomach right now. Side note, when I'm in like significant caloric deficit, I often find that my electrolytes get low, as you would expect, considering electrolytes come from food. And I get like muscle cramps and brain fog. And so lately I have been drinking a whole lot of Element, sponsor of this episode. Element is a delicious zero calorie or zero sugar, I should say, electrolyte drink mix. Does it have zero calories? Hey, let's look. Huh, 10. <laughs> Yeah, zero, almost zero calorie electrolyte drink. Mm. You just drop a little packet into however much water that you want to drink. The grapefruit salt flavor is my favorite, and it's now here to stay, I'm happy to announce. It used to be a summer special, now it is permanent. It's the dog days of summer, and I am working outside and gardening all the time on top of my normal exercise, so I'm sweating nonstop, and that can easily result in sodium deficiency, especially if you're not eating the kinds of foods from which most people hearing this get most of their sodium, i.e. ultra-processed foods. In these conditions, I knock back a deliciously salty glass of Element, and I immediately feel much better because sodium is required for hydration. If you are salt deficient, You can drink all the water that you want, but you're just gonna pee it out. Plus, there's the magnesium and the potassium and such. Electrolyte drinks are just awesome, and when you actually need them, they're there for you. But the ones that you usually buy at the store are filled with sugar and other ingredients that you might not want. Element is really simple stuff. It's sweetened with stevia, not sugar, hence the 10 calories. It has an evidence-based mix of electrolytes and some natural flavors, and that is it. I really, really enjoy Element on a day like today. Try the grapefruit flavor. Try all the flavors. You can get a free sample pack with any purchase as long as you use my link, which is drinkelement.com Adam. Element is spelled L-M-N-T, DrinkLMNT.com slash Adam. Thank you, Element. Anyway, B12 and acid blockers. I'm on acid blockers right now. And the acid blockers really help. And I've had like recurring episodes of gastritis my whole adult life. So I asked my doctor, I said, Hey, can I just stay on the acid blockers for the rest of my life? And she was like, no. And I was like, why not? And she was like, it's complicated. And I was like, I'm a science literate person. Why won't any healthcare providers talk to me as such? And she was like, dude, I'm just trying to survive another day in the dumpster fire that is the US healthcare system. And I have to deal with patients who went to the Google School of Medicine, and now they think they know more than me. So I'd really rather not get into specifics. But if you must know, acid blockers inhibit B12 absorption. So you can get anemic if you stay on acid blockers for more than a couple of years. And then I was super curious about why a couple years, but I'd been thoroughly put in my place at that point. So I decided to just look it up when I got home. And here's the answer. Your liver hoards B12 for a rainy day. It's not like sodium, which you, you need to consume pretty regularly or vitamin C for that example. Your liver stockpiles all the B12 that you could need in the medium term. If you suddenly stop getting B12 in your diet, Your liver releases however much you need to get through the week. Clever design these bodies are, but here's the catch. The half-life of cobalamin in the liver is about 400 days. So after a year and some change, you'll be halfway through your B12 stockpile, and then it will dwindle rapidly from there because math. That's why you can take acid blockers for a couple of years without getting anemic. And it's why your annoying friend isn't anemic yet. You know, the guy who went vegan a year ago and he won't shut up about how great he feels. Cobalamin is required by animals, so it's in animal foods, but it's not required by plants. So plant-based foods will generally have no more than like trace amounts of vitamin B12. Does this mean that vegans are doomed to be anemic? Not at all. This is a case where the distinction between plant foods and fungal foods, and protist foods for that matter, is very relevant, and it's not just something for jerks like me to be pedantic about. You know, that supposedly plant based food is actually made of mushrooms or protist algaes, neither of which are actually plants. Usually that's just pedantry, but here it actually matters. Plants don't need B12, but funguses do, because the fungal kingdom is arguably closer to the animal kingdom than it is to the plant kingdom. Mushrooms have some B12. Yeasts have some B12. Also, some bacteria make B12. Actually, I think... That's where all B12 comes from originally is the bacteria. And these bacteria live on the surface of some seaweeds and like kelp and such. So you can get some B12 from those kinds of foods too, but not a whole lot probably, especially based on how much people actually eat of that stuff. You'd probably have to eat a lot of those foods to get ample cobalamin, especially as you get older and you need more. So for the last century or so, food processors in some countries have been adding B12 into other products in a process known as fortification. Cereal products fortified with extra vitamins, for example, very common in the US. Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Cookie Crisp are fortified with B12, among other vitamins. Health foods. But your annoying friend who just went vegan last year also stopped eating processed foods and won't shut up about that either. So He's not getting B12 from cheese or cookie crisp. If your annoying friend is an Adam Ragusa viewer, he may have followed my advice from like a couple of years ago when I sang the praises of yeast extract as a non-animal source of umami. I'm not vegan, and I cook with yeast extract all the time because it's awesome. Check out my old video about yeast extract. It's one of my favorites that I've done. About a hundred years ago the Brits started making extract from leftover brewer's yeast. The resulting dark brown gooey spread is called marmite. They pretty quickly discovered marmite was, like other fungal foods, quite rich in a lot of B vitamins, namely B1, thiamine, which prevents beriberi, a disease that was endemic among the far-flung soldiers of the British Empire who ate you know, cheap grain-based rations and not enough of the other stuff to meet their needs. So the Brits sent their boys marmite as a thiamine supplement, and millions of men ate it during World War I. So that's maybe where the British love of marmite really began. Apparently, yeast extract does not naturally have a ton of B12, but they fortify it with B12, among other things. So that's part of why the Anglophone world that has toast with Marmite every morning probably has less cause to worry about this stuff. But if your annoying friend stopped eating all animal products and processed foods and supplements a year ago, because he also thinks that supplements are bullshit, and he does not gorge himself on shrooms and kombu, and he insists that he feels great, and he insists that this is evidence that the agricultural industrial complex is lying to us about basic nutrition, well, that happens. Here's what you do. You sit back and you say, cool, bro. Glad you found something that's working for you. And you can be content in your knowledge that this dude has basically no B12 in his diet. He has a lot of B12 in his liver, but its half-life is 400 days. So after a couple of years of eating this way, your buddy is going to start feeling tired all the time. He'll get winded walking up a flight of stairs. He might get foggy headed and depressed. And you will know that this is because B12 is actually important, and you need to make an effort to get B12 if you're not eating meat, eggs, or milk. Strict vegans should probably consider taking a vitamin supplement or eating Marmite or cookie crisp or something. Just know that your annoying friend is wrong. You are right. And we all know that being right is what Is most important in life. Not, you know, helping your friend who's trying to do what he believes to be right by eating vegan. Anyway, how did B12 become a fixture of the like concierge medicine industry? I thought of this the other day when we were watching the new John Mullaney comedy special where he talks about his drug recovery, and he talks about visiting his sketchy Dr. Feelgood, who used to prescribe him Xanax or whatever without any legitimate medical reason. And this sketchy doctor seemed to be slightly in denial about who he really was, so he liked to kind of pretend that he was a real doctor, and he would offer Mulaney a B12 shot with his recreational Adderall or whatever. Concierge Medicine is a perhaps over broad term for stuff that you can pay for beyond what a normal doctor would consider necessary or what an insurance company would normally reimburse you for that definition would encompass everything from like the services offered by various doctors feel good everything from that to like elective cosmetic medicine and everything to those like weird IV clinics that have popped up in bougie entertainment districts all over the US in recent years. Next to the bar, there's now a med spa or whatever that offers rejuvenation infusions or whatever they call them. And what they're really talking about there are, uh, I think, hangover cures. People party, they drink, they feel terrible afterward, they lack stamina for the next night of clubbing that they have in mind. So, They pay a nurse to give them an IV fluid infusion. That probably helps, because heavy drinking makes you really dehydrated. And the nurse who is doing this job as her side hustle because she's criminally underpaid, she figures that she might as well sell you some extra goodies in those IV fluids, like electrolytes. Those probably really do make you feel better after a heavy night. And B vitamins. Why include B vitamins in an elective drug cocktail like this to perk up a tired party monster? Well, there's a few reasons. It's generally tough to overdose on B vitamins because B vitamins are water soluble. That's one reason why we've historically grouped all of the B vitamins together in this umbrella category that we call B vitamins. They're all water soluble unlike vitamins A, D, E, and K, which are fat-soluble. So you couldn't put them into a a water-based infusion or shot anyway. B vitamins travel in the water phase of your circulatory system, and because of that, your body can just pee out any excess. That's what they mean when they talk about how unnecessary vitamin supplements give you expensive pee. I'm not a doctor. Do not stop your health research with me, for God's sake. There may be some B vitamins you can overdose on, but B12 in particular has no upper limit, according to all of the scientific bodies that you would expect to weigh in on this topic, like government nutrition boards. Science has not yet identified any dangerously high level of cobalamin that would be remotely realistic. Whatever B12 your liver cannot hold, you just pee out. So if I'm a doctor or a nurse practicing potentially slightly sketchy elective medicine, it's reasonably safe for me to put B12 into the hangover cure that I offer because even if it doesn't do anything, at least it won't do anything bad. Does it do anything good? People say they get a short-term energy boost from a big B12 shot. And on that basis, B12 is also sold as a weight loss drug. The notion, as far as I can gather, Is that high dosing B12 will give you like extra healthy red blood cells and that will hyper oxygenate all of your tissues. So you'll have extra energy. It's the opposite of anemia where you are under oxygenated and therefore weak and tired and cold all the time because your metabolism has slowed way down and it's generating less body heat. Or so goes the quackish theory, as best as I can glean it from the websites of these IV spas that don't exactly come out and make these claims, but they they imply them. Anecdotes do not equal data, but anecdotes do equal content. So I went to an IV spa type place a couple of days ago, and I paid 20 bucks for a medically unnecessary B12 shot. It was like a high-end place that seemed to be a little more cosmetically oriented. I had the sense that I was perhaps the first straight male customer that they had seen in a while. The women who worked there wore these beautiful, long, light, flowy, floral print outer garments that seemed to subtly recall lab coats. The nurse who gave me the shot assumed that I was gonna get something called like the hyper burn or something, which is apparently a whole cocktail of stuff in addition to the B12. I said, nah, just the B12 shot, please. So she put it in my left delt. She warned me that my pee might look really bright yellow or orange over the next few days. That's just your kidneys passing the excess, she said. Expensive pee. She said something about how this shot will give me a boost But she was very careful to add, if you're deficient, at least some of the time. She said that it should give me a boost going into this weekend. Ever since then, I have been waiting for my placebo effect to kick in, and you know what? It still hasn't. I doubt very much that I am B12 deficient, yet. (laughs) Literally all the foods that I mentioned, animal or otherwise, that contain lots of B12, I eat frequently. I eat a pretty wide variety of foods, which is probably the surest way to get all your micros. Yeah, I'm on the acid blockers, but only for the last few months. And I think my stomach is kinda calming down a little bit, the lining. So no, I'm not surprised that I felt no energy boost at all from an elective B12 shot. My pee did get almost neon yellow that first night. Side note, you know what's really alarming? When you're peeing, the pee looks weird, and then you suddenly smell tacos in a place where you really would not expect to smell tacos. That's as confusing as it is worrying. I was at my mother-in-law's, and she was, it turns out, temporarily storing a crock pot full of like white people taco beef in the guest bathroom that I was using. That was a real weird experience. Woke me right up, that did. Anyway. I have gone looking for any research indicating that B12 supplementation gives an energy boost to people who are not already deficient, and I can't find any. There's one study from 2010 out of Nova Southeastern University in Florida looking at popular energy drinks, many of which contain large doses of B12. And these scientists concluded that almost all of the like minor performance enhancing effects observed from those drinks could be attributed to the caffeine and the sugar. In contrast, just google the question and you'll find like published positions from the Mayo Clinic and similar, you know, established trusted health authorities all saying that there's no good evidence that excess B12 is beneficial for performance or weight loss. On the other hand, The literature is like crystal clear on how essential B12 is to energy and performance and brain function and mood. If you are deficient in B12, you probably will feel sluggish and foggy or depressed, and the research suggests that a lot of people in developed countries are B12 efficient, though we don't know exactly how many or how deficient. We know that lots of people may be cobalamin deficient, even if they're eating a good varied diet, because really common conditions and medications inhibit B12 absorption, and you might be able to overcome those problems by jamming extra cobalamin down your gullet. So B12 supplements are very much not bullshit. Lots of people should probably be on them. But there's no good evidence that they will help you if you aren't already deficient, because your body pees out everything beyond its maximum holding capacity. There are blood tests to determine whether you are vitamin deficient, if you're curious. Best done under the observation of a professional, because there can be huge like day-to-day variations in the vitamins in your blood. Excess B12 could maybe interfere with certain medications. But other than that, there doesn't seem to be much harm in taking a B12 supplement, even if you don't need it. And that's one reason that I take like a multivitamin, hashtag not an ad this particular time. It may be expensive pee for me, but it's not that expensive. And it's an easy way to just make sure that I probably have my bases covered. But if you think that's slim justification, you may be right. I'm not a vegan. I'm not pregnant or nursing or attempting to conceive. I'm not particularly sick. I eat fortified junk food. My micronutrition is probably just fine. Probably the best thing I could do to improve my micronutrients is to drink less, which I have been doing on account of my uh, inflamed stomach lining. Does B12 help hangovers? I was pretty sure that I'd find at least a few studies about that when I went looking. And there's a couple that examined the efficacy of cocktails, including B12, but drug cocktails, I mean, but I couldn't find a single one that was looking at B12 in isolation and its effect on hangovers. That's surprising to me because a very common like mainstream medical practice here in the US at least is to give severely drunk people who land in the hospital a so-called banana bag, which is a yellow-tinted bag of IV fluids containing B vitamins and magnesium and other stuff that alcoholics tend to be deficient in. If you're working in the ER and a drunk person shows up with some kind of problem, the first thing you often do is get them on a banana bag. But when I did my Googling, what I found was like discourse in medical journals doubting the efficacy of these banana bags on just about every level. Apparently it's not enough thiamine to really help an alcoholic, assuming that this drunk person in your ER even is an alcoholic and not just someone who drank way too much that particular night. Lots of doctors know this, but they prescribe the banana bag anyway, because it probably won't hurt anyone. There's a chance it might help them a little. And at least the rehydration will probably help that drunk who is in your ER. And you know, hooking them up to the IV will make them sit still, hopefully. And while lots of alcoholics are B12 deficient and could maybe benefit from supplementation, that's a totally different question from whether B12 can treat an acute hangover. One reasoning that I've seen for why B12 might be able to help with a hangover is that alcohol metabolism requires a lot of B12, and so you can become momentarily deficient shortly after drinking. But I can't find a single clinical study directly examining this question. Maybe drinking does use a lot of B12, but most people keep a lot of spare B12 in their liver. So... One thing we can say for sure is that B12 is not some kind of legal healthy cocaine, where the more of it you take, the more energy you get. There's just zero evidence for that, much to my dismay. I would have liked a little boost going into my weekend, as that nurse confidently informed me I would experience. I did not. Then again, I'm not a party monster. So what do I know about that life? To really test a treatment, you have to test it in its intended context. And party monsters, like bodybuilders, are an understudied population, doing things that go beyond the frontiers of medical science. So who knows what B12 shots really do for them. I do know that this episode of the Adam Argusia podcast has come to an end, and you seem to have listened the whole way. You few, you happy few make good choices. I'm going to talk to you again next time.